0: How many words does the average adult speak in one day? With Google, you can find out the answer. Of course, Google actually didn't give a precise answer, but this is what I read. Uh, Checking out a few sites, researchers who have addressed this question estimate that the average adult speaks between 6,000 and 16,000 words per day. 6,000 to 16,000 words per day. This estimate does not include words which are communicated via text messaging, emails, social media, or letters. So in the light of these estimates, and a sober consideration of the influence and effects of our words upon others, every Christian should be very concerned to learn and take to heart the Bible's teachings regarding the use of our words. And even more important than these statistics, of course, is the fact that the Bible addresses the matter of the use of our words throughout the scriptures in numerous passages. And during two previous adult Bible classes, we've turned to the scriptures in order to examine and consider some biblical truths regarding words and our use of them. And by way of review, a brief review, we considered the importance of words from a number of passages and in a number of categories. And we considered the importance of words that God himself speaks with words, Secondly, God created man to speak with words. Thirdly, Satan uses words sinfully. Fourthly, sadly, man uses words sinfully. Then fifth, God's special revelation is given to us through words and through God the Word. Words in the sixth place are used by redeemed man for prayer, for proclamation, and for praise of God. Then seventh, words reveal our hearts and character. Eighth, we will be judged by our words. So that is part of our review this morning, but then continuing in our last class, by way of review, two Lord's Days ago, we began our consideration of examples of our Lord's use of words. And these examples of our Lord's use of words are not discrete categories. There is much overlap from one example to another. I'm conscious of that. You can see that yourself as well. So I want us to learn from our Lord's use of words, the way he used them in different ways, different contexts. I want us to learn how we should use our words when we communicate with others so again by way of brief review we saw from some passages of scripture the lord jesus spoke gracious words of truth secondly the lord spoke gracious words of eloquent simplicity and clarity and just pausing there as you can see from those two categories there's clearly some interweaving some overlap speaking words of truth speaking eloquent simplicity and clarity with his words. But thirdly, we saw two Lord's days ago, the Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of instruction. And then fourthly, the Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of invitation to sinners. So that's a quick review of what we've learned in two adult Bible classes. And so this morning we now move on to some new material In this whole category of the examples of our Lord's use of words. In the fifth place, the Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of faithfulness to sinners. Faithfulness to sinners. So turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. Mark 10 verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was going forth into the way, there ran one to him and kneeled to him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? None is good save one, even God you know the commandments, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said unto him, Teacher, all these things have I observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him, and said unto him, one thing you lack, go Sell whatsoever you have and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But his countenance fell at that saying and he went away sorrowful for he was one that had great possessions. And there we stop our reading. Well, notice in faithfulness to this rich young ruler the Lord spoke words to challenge his thinking and challenge his theology. And he asked him a searching question. Why do you call me good? You see, he was using his words wisely. He was using his words graciously. He was being faithful to this specific sinner in all of his sinful need. And then the Lord continued. He used his words to declare truth regarding God. He used words to proclaim God's law. He cites many of the commandments. And he used God's word to command him to repent of his sins. So the Lord's words were gracious and they were faithful to his soul. But notice from verse 21 something that's extremely important jesus looking upon him loved him very very important he spoke words gracious words faithful words out of a heart of true love for this lost sinner and if you would speak faithfully to sinners you must be like jesus christ and have a true, sincere heart of love for sinners. It's not always easy, especially if the sinner is very blatant, obnoxious, in-your-face kind of a sinner. It's not always easy. But we must be like Christ and speak gracious words of faithfulness to sinners, and we must have a heart of sincere love for them. The Lord's words were gracious and faithful to the soul of this self-satisfied, unconverted man. So that's one example. But now let's turn to another passage, Matthew 23, and let's see from this passage, the Lord spoke gracious words of rebuke to unbelievers, Matthew 23 and verse 13. Matthew 23 and verse 13. Gracious words of rebuke to unbelievers. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men. For you enter not in yourselves, neither permit you them that are entering in to enter. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he has become so, you make him twofold more a son of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, you blind guides, that say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has sanctified the gold? And there we stop our reading. When one reads these words of rebuke spoken to the scribes and the Pharisees, you sense a difference when they are compared to the occasions when the Lord Jesus rebuked his own disciples. However, it's also clear, I believe, in this passage that there's no carnality in the heart or in the words of the Lord Jesus. There's no spite. There's no ill will. There's no harshness. There is directness indeed, very direct. But there's not this tinge of sourness or bitterness or harshness. When he spoke to these Pharisees and scribes, there is an intense holy sobriety in the Lord's words as he pronounced woe unto them. And why did he speak this way? Why did he rebuke these unbelievers? He spoke the truth. He rebuked them in order to convict them of their flagrant, obvious sins, in order to jar them, as it were, out of their self-deception and sin, in order to lead them to repent of their very blatant sins. So you see the Lord's words were still loving words, truly gracious words, but rebuking words spoken spoken from a heart of a sincere and earnest longing that they would turn away from their sins and believe in him the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you might have an occasion to rebuke an unbeliever, that unbeliever may be in your own household or it may be in your extended family. You need to remember how the way the Lord Himself rebuked unbelievers. There was no carnality, no harshness. There was an earnest love for them, a desire that they would hear and see the truth about themselves to repent and believe in the Lord. But notice now in the seventh place, The Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of rebuke to believers. He spoke words of rebuke to unbelievers. He at times spoke words of rebuke to real believers. Turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke the saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But he, turning about And seeing his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get you behind me, Satan, for you mind not the things of God, but the things of men. There we stop our reading. Rebukes of other believers can and should be gracious. And they should be spoken when they are clearly necessary. And they must be rebukes of truth, which are spoken in love. This is what the Lord did on this occasion with the Apostle Peter. The Lord's rebuke of Peter was very stern. But again, when you read it, you realize there is no harshness in the Lord's tones. Not with the Pharisees or the scribes and not with Peter. He spoke to Peter with a determination to deliver Peter from his carnal thinking, his carnal speaking, his treacherous words of temptation. He had to speak. It was necessary to speak. He spoke the truth. The Lord did. He spoke the truth in love. He spoke a rebuke to believer. And sometimes we as Christians must do that with other believers. But we need to remember the example of the Lord Jesus on this occasion with Peter. So easily we can rebuke others with carnality, with harshness, with an edge, with sourness, bitterness, whatever. And we must not do that. We must be like Christ. But now another example. Turn to Luke chapter 10. And verse 38, here we see the Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of correction to believers. Correction to believers. I'm making a distinction between a rebuke and correction, as you'll see. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister did leave me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. But the Lord answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There we stop our reading. So we've just considered the example of the Lord Jesus rebuking the apostle Peter, a believer, In this passage, you might say that the Lord is rebuking Martha. But what's a rebuke? A rebuke is a sharp disapproval of someone's words or ways. And when you read Luke 10 here, I don't think you sense that there's a sharp disapproval. There is a disapproval, but it's not a sharp disapproval of Martha's words or ways. What we have in this instance is what I'm calling a correction of a believer, the believer Martha. The Lord spoke to her and he used loving, earnest appeals. You can see that in verse 41 when he simply says, Martha, Martha. Now, we don't know the tones the Lord used on this occasion. You know, we don't know that. But when you just read those words, Martha, Martha, you don't sense a sharp rebuke. You sense an earnest, loving appeal to Martha's conscience, to her mind, to her heart, to consider her words, to consider her ways, to see that she's wrong, that Mary's actually right That the problem is, Martha, you're anxious and you're fretful and you're thinking just about the food to be put on the table. And so it's a correction, you see. He's graciously, lovingly correcting a believer named Martha. And so we, I think, need to make that distinction between a rebuke or a correction. Your children, who may be teenager believers... Some of you, I think, have some children in your home who are teenagers and profess to be Christians. Sometimes they may need the rebuke, but probably many times it's not so much the rebuke that they need, but they need the correction. They're young. If they're a true believer, a teenager, as an example, they're still young. They still have a lot to learn. They need to be corrected into the right biblical pathway. They don't always need a rebuke. No doubt, times they do need a rebuke. But I want you to see how the Lord dealt with people we're to be like the Lord. But now turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Here we have the Lord Jesus speaking gracious words, expressing His indignation, we're told that's what he felt inwardly, expressing his indignations regarding the behavior of his disciples. His words, I do not believe, are words of indignation, but we're told he had that in his being, and he's expressing his disapproval, perhaps, you might say, of the behavior of the disciples. Mark 10 and verse 13. And they were bringing unto him little children, that he should touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. The disciples are rebuking those people, whether believers or not believers, bringing their children to Jesus, that Jesus might lay his hands on them. The disciples are rebuking those people. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was moved with indignation and said unto them, Permit the little children to come unto me. Do not forbid them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall in no wise enter therein. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. there we stop the reading. So the disciples at times misunderstood the heart and the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're thinking, at least on this occasion, he was too busy to be interested and concerned about little children. And therefore, on this occasion, the disciples, they sharply criticized those who were bringing their children to Jesus. They thought this would be a distraction to the Lord sidetracking him away from his mission. So they sought to keep the children from him. And when the Lord saw this, he was stirred in his soul with righteous anger, with a vexation. Again, we're not reading his mind, but that's what the word means. He had this internal anger that was righteous, a vexation. Why are my disciples turning these children away from me? And then he firmly and graciously corrected and redirected his disciples with his words. And we at times need to do that with other believers. We, I don't believe the Lord manifested the indignation that doesn't seem to be the case in this passage, that he manifested that inward reality to his disciples, but he clearly he clearly corrected them and redirected them because of what he felt internally. They needed that instruction with His words. And we need to do that at times with other believers as the Lord did. But now a tenth example of the Lord's use of words. The Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of restoration. Turn to John chapter. 21. John chapter 21 and verse 15. So when they had broken their fast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these he said unto him yes lord you know that i love you he said unto him feed my lambs he said to him again a second time simon son of john do you love me he said unto him yes lord you know that i love you he said unto him tend my sheep He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, do you love me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Well, the Apostle Peter, as you all know, had sinned blatantly and grievously and treacherously when he denied with words, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ on the night in which the Lord was betrayed. And in this passage, we see the Lord graciously and lovingly restoring Peter to his work as an apostle by asking him three times the question, Simon, son of john do you love me it was a humbling but necessary experience for peter and the lord used words probing questions joined to necessary commands in order to restore peter to his work as an apostle and so we see here this example that we should follow when it's appropriate to help someone who is a believer who has erred into sin, strayed into sin, and has been recovered from that sin, repenting how to encourage and strengthen and restore such a one, not an apostle, of course, there are no apostles today, but Lord, we can learn from the lord's words, the lord's examples, how to help those who have sinned, who have repented, who need to be strengthened in their heart and in their soul and life. So, brethren, when we consider these ten examples of the Lord Jesus Christ's use of words, we should be humbled by it all and cry out to him for grace. I mean, when you consider these examples, to me it's very convicting. How easily, how quickly, how quickly, We sin with our tongues, with our words. How quick we can be to speak words that are not words of grace, words of love, words that are necessary. We are to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in our use of our words, in all of our interactions with both believers and unbelievers, And with each of these ten examples of the Lord's words spoken to believers and unbelievers, I purposefully used one word in each of those ten examples, one word which characterized all of the Lord's words. I'm not saying you would have necessarily noticed it, but it was purposeful on my part. In all ten examples, I used the word gracious. The Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of rebuke. The Lord Jesus spoke gracious words of correction. The Lord Jesus spoke gracious words expressing his inward indignation. The Lord Jesus spoke graciously. We, by God's grace and power, can be like Christ and speak words of graciousness to sinners and to saints, to men, to women, to the young, to the old, to strangers, to friends. And no matter with whom we are speaking, our words should be Christ-like and gracious. As you're sitting here thinking about this, I trust if you're a believer you're also realizing how far you and I fail in this reality. And again, we can thank God that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses away all sin, and that Jesus Christ never sinned once in his whole life, not in his heart, not in his thoughts, Not in his attitudes, not with his words, not with the words he used, not with the way he spoke them, not with his tones, never. So not only does his blood cleanse away all of our sins of the tongue, sins with our words, but he also lived that perfect righteous life which we have not lived. And we should thank God for those two realities, the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Jesus Christ in his life on this earth. But now, let us focus upon this necessity. We must speak our words graciously. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away falsehood, speak truth each one with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then drop down to verse 29. Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, but such as is good for edifying, as the need may be, that it may give grace To them that hear. There we stop our reading. So these two verses are epitomizing texts of biblical truth regarding the use of our words. Clearly, we are not to lie to one another, but instead, we are to speak truth to one another. We're not to use corrupt speech, unhealthy speech, uh, putrefying speech. We're not to use that kind of speech with one another, but speak words of edification, words that build up, words that help, words that are encouraging. We are to speak words that will impart grace to those who hear us. And here you can stop and just ask that simple question. I mean, we we speak a lot of words each day, as I said at the beginning of this class. But it would be good if we would ask the Lord to help us before we speak, including in casual conversations. Lord, help me to speak words that will impart grace to those who are hearing me. Even if it's a casual conversation, even if it's a conversation involving teasing. And I don't believe teasing is necessarily sinful. Uh, Usually, I don't think it is. But we need God's help to speak words of truth, words of edification, words that give grace to those who hear. We cannot underestimate the importance of the gracious use of our tongues in all of our communications and especially in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we speak truth in love, we are speaking graciously, When we speak words of edification and love, we're speaking graciously. And in his messages on the bridled tongue, Pastor Martin urged all Christians to ask several questions before opening your mouth and speaking. Now, I realize that's challenging, especially if you're in a dynamic conversation and you're talking about matters that really interest you, maybe it's Yankees baseball or the Mets or maybe it's something more important than that and you can be very uh, quick to be speaking I'm not saying that that's wrong at all I'm just saying we need to ask God to help us but especially especially when you're not talking about casual things like baseball games but especially when you're talking about those things that tend to agitate people Get them stirred up like politics, like economics, like the president, like the war in Ukraine, or whatever, you understand what I'm saying. Those kinds of discussions, conversations, topics that people feel passionately about. What should you do? Is what I'm about to speak, this is the first question, is what I'm about to speak the truth? So this was from Pastor Martin. I didn't re-listen to the series, but I heard the series, and I think I heard it more than once, and from my memory and from some notes, is what I'm about to speak the truth? If the answer is no, then guess what? This is not rocket science. You shouldn't speak it if it's not the truth. And think about that with regards to politics. It's So easy uh, to pontificate. Well, I know that President Biden, he did this, this, this. And let's just say it's not President Biden. It could have been President Reagan. Whether Republican or Democrat, that's not the issue. We speak as though we know absolutely this is the truth. And what I'm suggesting we do is we ask the question of ourselves before we speak in those impassioned conversations, is what I'm about to speak the truth? Do I really know this is the truth? Second question. Does love demand that I speak this truth. So suppose it is the truth. You know absolutely what you're going to speak may have nothing to do with politics. You know what you're going to speak is the truth. But does love demand that I speak this truth? Just because you know something to be true, doesn't mean you are obligated to speak it on that occasion. Love may demand that you actually be quiet and say nothing. Third question. So it is the truth. Love demands I speak this truth. This may seem contradictory, but I think it's still important to ask this question. Are these words of truth necessary? I mean, I use the word love demands that I speak this truth. Maybe I should alter that. Does love suggest that I speak this truth? But I think it's good to ask this third question. Is this necessary? Are these words necessary? Remember Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. Is it necessary to speak it? I'm not trying to squash free-flowing, Loving interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. I can think of ones that have happened. I don't think he's here this morning, so I'll use his name. Andrew Vigario. He loves to tease me in my kitchen. And we can get really going back and forth, you know. And so it's, it's but it's a context of love. He loves to tease me the way I scratch my back. And, you know, you could say, well, is it really necessary for him to say that? Well, it's, it's loving teasing. But in other situations, is it necessary to speak? Fourth question, even if it's necessary to speak it, is this the wisest time to speak this truth? Jesus said, I have many other things to say to you, my disciples, but you're not yet ready and able to receive them. The timing was not right. What the Lord was going to speak to them, they clearly needed to know. It clearly would have been truth. It clearly would have been in love. But it wasn't the right time. So you ask that question. Is it the wisest time to speak this truth? Especially as you think of your relationships as husband and wife. When your husband walks in the door from work... It may not be the wisest time to tell him all the truth that is necessary about the fact that your two sons got into a big fist fight. He may not, that might not be the wisest time right then and there to speak that to him. So those are some questions we should have more into our minds that we bring to our our thoughts before we're engaging in conversations. So to be succinct and to help you all remember these questions prior to speaking, simply and quickly ask the following questions of yourself. Truth, just ask that word truth as a question. Love, necessary, wise. Four simple words. Truth, love, necessary, wise. And of course, you could add questions to that list in situations that might help you to further clarify and discern whether or not you should speak. For example, will my words promote edification? That's an expansion, really, of the previous questions. Will my words be gracious? Again, an expansion of the previous questions. Is this person to whom I plan to speak part of the problem with which I am concerned? I have a problem. It involves one or two other believers. I want some counsel. So I'm going to seek counsel. But is this person to whom I plan to speak, are they part of the problem? If the answer is no, they're not part of the problem, maybe you shouldn't speak to them. Is this person to whom I plan to speak part of the solution to the problem with which I'm concerned? Well, maybe you should speak. And of course, there is the place for getting counsel from a pastor, from an older, wiser saint. But many times we should ask that question. Is it wise for me to get counsel from that individual? If he's part of the problem, maybe I should. If he's part of the solution, maybe I should. If it's somebody older and wiser, maybe I should. But we need to guard against the sin of gossip. Colossians 4.6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So, brethren, we must speak our words graciously. Remember Ephesians 4.25 and 29. Remember these four simple questions, truth, love, necessary, wise, before we get involved in some conversation about some important matter especially. But now, we must not only speak our words graciously, a gracious tongue does not gossip or slander. And how we need to hear the word of God on these realities in our day. Gossip and slander. Turn to Proverbs 16 and verse 28. Proverbs 16 and verse 28 Proverbs 16:28 A perverse man scatters abroad strife and a whisperer separates chief friends So, in this verse, we read of the gossip and the slanderer. And there is some degree of overlap often between the two. But what is gossip? It is to talk idly, I-D-L-Y, idly, not unto edification, often with some degree of conceit and arrogance, especially about other people's personal and private lives. Such gossip may include facts, as well as falsehood, sometimes falsehood of a sensational or intimate nature. And what is slander? It is a malicious statement. It could be spoken or written. A malicious report about someone intended to insult, intended to malign, intended to disparage, smear, and defame the name and character of that person. Now, I'm often lovingly criticized, <laughs> rightly criticized for using many words to describe something, details. But quoting Pastor Martin, I purposely deliberately chose these words. Slander It's a malicious statement or report about someone intended to insult, malign, disparage, smear, and defame the name and character of that person. These two sins are always destructive and will most certainly damage, if not end, any good relationship or friendship. And notice again from Proverbs 16, 28, how Solomon portrays the gossip, the person who gossips, and the slanderer. A perverse man scatters abroad strife. He's employing the imagery of a farmer in the first part of this verse. A noble and godly farmer sows good seed for the good purpose of getting a good crop in his own field. But the perverse man, like a perverse farmer, sows not good seed, but seeds of strife and every furrow of his neighbor's field. In other words, seeds of slander and gossip are scattered abroad among his neighbors, family, and friends, literally or figuratively, in order to produce a crop of strife, which would include things like ill will and jealousy and separation between and among family and friends, divisions between Christians within a church, divisions between true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seeds So the sins of suspicion and coldness and ill will and distance between Christians and other Christians and Christians and their pastor or pastors, the gossip and the slanderer are perverse and twisted. They cannot bear to see others living well and enjoying loving friendships, and therefore they sow seeds of discord by their words wherever they can we're given this truth here in Proverbs that we would not be like this. We're not to be a perverse man that scatters abroad strife. But neither are we to be a whisperer who separates or alienates the best of friends. So I'm calling the gossip a perverse farmer. I'm calling the gossip and slanderer a verbal butcher. A verbal butcher. He separates chief friends. He takes that meat cleaver with his words and he just brings that meat cleaver right down and he separates, like a butcher does meat, two chief friends. Destroys their friendship by gossip, by slander. I had somebody recently call me on the phone. And this individual started to speak to me, complaining about somebody else. And, and I let it go for a little bit, not because I wanted to listen to it, but I thought, okay, this person may just be a little bit confused. But I, I stopped it. I said, look, you're speaking to the wrong person. You've been talking to me as a pastor, that was the purpose, I'm a pastor, he wanted to speak to a pastor, about Another individual. I said, you need to go to that individual. You've said that you're concerned about rules. Well, let me tell you about the rules of God's word. This is what I said to him, and I said it this way. I was not unkind or bitter. I said, let me tell you about the rules of God's word. God says gossiping is sin. God says slandering is sin, and that's what you're doing. You need to go to that individual with whom you say you have a problem and speak. That's what you need to do when somebody begins to gossip or slander with you. You don't just let it all be drunk in by your two ears coming down into your heart. I mean, again, I said I let it go on a little bit just because I thought, I know he's calling me because I'm a pastor. I wanna, uh, just want to make sure I understand what's going But then I stopped it. And that's what I said to him. It is sinful to gossip and slander. And it's sinful to listen to gossip and slander. Or to read it in social media posts. Listen to Matthew Henry. A perverse man, he's commenting on this proverb, Proverbs 16:28. A perverse man that cannot find in his heart to love anybody but himself is vexed to see others live in love and therefore makes it his business to sow strife by giving men base characters one of another, telling lies and carrying ill-natured stories between chief friends. So as to separate them one from another and make them angry at or at least suspicious of one another. Those are bad men and bad women, too, that do such ill offices. They are doing the devil's work and his will is their wages. End quote. So, brethren, we need to be careful with our words. What is the antidote to such sins of the tongue, sins of the words? What are the things that you should do as a Christian? The first is you should pray. Now, I know when you hear things like that, you say, yes, 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 I have to pray. pray." I know I have to pray. But brethren, you do. You need to pray. Lord, deliver me from the sins of gossip and slander. Lord, help me to use my words as words of grace whenever I speak or write. So turn to Psalm 141 and verse 1. Psalm 141 and verse 1. Lord, I have called upon you. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I call unto you. Let my prayer be set forth as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. We stop there. You see, brethren, the psalmist knew he needed to pray and as God to set a watch before his mouth, to keep the door of his lips. That's what we should pray, that we would be kept from the sins of the tongue, from the sins of gossip and slander. Turn to Psalm 19 and verse 13. Psalm 19 and verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be clear from great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, as well as the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, again, the psalmist prayed, Let the words of my mouth as well as the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sights. Brethren, we need to do more praying than we do concerning this matter of the use of our words. But secondly, you need to soak your mind and heart in the word of God. Turn to Psalm 119 and verse 10. Psalm 119 and verse 10. Soak your mind and heart in the word of God as part of the preparation to keep yourself from sinning with your words. Psalm 119, verse 10, "'With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I laid up in my heart, or I've hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes.'" your word have i laid up in my heart we need biblical truth in our hearts to help us in this important warfare but next ask a christian brother or sister to keep you accountable how you use your tongue how you use your words ask a brother or sister who knows you well confide in him or her about this struggle these temptations and ask him or her to help you, to keep you accountable. That when they see or are aware that you sinned in one way or another, to privately speak to you about it, to help you. That is another means of grace, to help you. But then lastly, turn to Mark chapter 15 and verse 34. If you would put to death the sins of the tongue, the sins of the words. Of course, they proceed out of the heart. And I understand that. But if you would put to death those sins in the heart, as well as outwardly with the words, you need to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord was forsaken on the cross that you, the believer, will not be forsaken. He was abandoned that you will not be abandoned. He took your sins of the tongue and word all of your sins upon him, and thus received the wrath of God for your sins, and was abandoned, deserted, forsaken by God the Father. And when you think upon that reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you, for those sins and all of your sins, it will humble you, it will break your heart, and it will cause you to love the Lord Jesus Christ and hate. Your sins and then you will want to abandon those sins of the word and tongue so may God help us to think upon what Christ has done for us so let's close now in prayer we come to you our God and we ask that you would please work in all of our hearts and lives that we would Have control over our hearts and passions, over our thoughts and intentions, over our very words that we speak and words that we type. We pray, our God, that you would help us, your people, to be those who speak words graciously to others, who speak words lovingly to others, who speak words faithfully to others. Lord, we cry to you and ask that we, your people, would be marked by these realities and that we would be bright, shining lights in this dark age. We ask for these mercies in Jesus Christ's worthy name. Amen.